How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Original. I just was working in rock and roll. I loved my life. I never thought about marriage. And mm-hmm. then when I, you know, met Ozzy, everything changed. And he was truly the only guy that I ever truly loved. I wanted to do something extraordinary and I wanted to be successful. I wanted to really feel like I mattered. When I found music, that was the way I felt like I wanted to do it. I wanted to be the best female guitar player that had ever lived. Hi, this is the Margaret Cho. I'm Margaret Cho. Uh, Today we have a very special guest. It is amazing. We have Sharon Osbourne. I'm so excited to talk to her. She is iconic and she's great. Sharon Osbourne. Congratulations are in order. Uh, Congratulations on your nomination for an Emmy. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. That's great. Yeah. It's really exciting. Yeah, we're very happy. We're very lucky. Yeah. Yeah. You forget that uh, it's still, I mean, even though we're in the middle of a pandemic, it's still, you know, it's still great. You know, it's still, do we get to go? Do you get to go? I mean, I guess I'll still have it. It's it's, it's still, September is a a bit away, so no, no. <laughs> the daytimes are held next month, so it's going to be uh, on Zoom. Oh, so it'll be on Zoom. So the whole thing. So they'll still have it. Yeah, and you know, they'll still have like the awards, and then you'll you'll be able to accept on Zoom <laughs> <laughs> if we win. Do you get I to like of, get a dress? Do you get to wear a wear a gown or? Oh, um, I'll I'll just put on a um, a house coat. That's it. No, Can't you gotta get asked. dressed up. Can't be asked to do all that. But I kind of think that Kelly Clarkson will win. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh no, no. I mean, it's fun though to just um to get dressed up on Zoom is kind of a fun. Or to get dressed, do you do, are you dressing up? Are you Doing makeup? Are you doing? Are you? Yeah, are you getting every up every day. The- yeah, every yeah. day. Get makeup. Do the whole nine yards. And when we announced the Emmys on our show, we got dressed up for it. We did. Yeah, yeah, you got to. 
I think I think it keeps your spirits up to do like I do definitely even if I'm not going anywhere I definitely do get dressed and put makeup on just for me yeah and it's just for me too I I don't like to walk around like in dirty old pajamas and you know I Mm -hmm. I get dressed every single day and do makeup me too. I think it's nice. I mean, I like it because I think it keeps my spirits up. Like for me, it's really, um, it's kind of self-care, but it's also meditation in a way, I guess. You know what it is? I uh, When I pass a mirror, I like to feel good. <laughs> right. I, I don't want to pass a mirror in the house and look at myself and go, Jesus, you look shit, you know. So uh, <laughs> I I just like to, you know, it's all part of the grooming. Yeah, I think that I like to pretend that I'm a third century Japanese courtesan. Oh. So I would like to live like I am living in like the pillow book or something like that. <laughs> and I am like constantly, um, you know, that the that sort of pillow book era. So you're waiting for your samurai and you're wearing all kimonos all the time. Yeah. And, I, love, um, I love me I love some it. kimonos. I love a kimono and I love the pillow book is the most genius. Like it was the yeah, third century and it was all like I love like courts and like courtly life. And um, so the Palace of Versailles and all this kind of stuff where all you would do is get dressed up. I was going to say then I'm Marie Antoinette. That's it. Oh, yes. Yeah. The best. Yeah. The best. That's the best kind of life because that was, I mean, I guess I fantasize about that kind of life because it's, it would be a life that it's a different kind of work because it's like you, you don't do anything except um, socialize. And then there's a like intense socialization. All it is is dress up and socializing. That was their lives from the morning till the time they went to bed. Mm-hmm. That's it. But it and was some- intense. Oh, and sometimes they didn't even go to bed. It just continued the next day. Yeah, but it wasn't pleasant all the time. Like it was actually life or death. Like it was actually like if somebody gossiped about you, you could die. <laughs> <laughs> Like if somebody spread a nasty rumor about you, you could die or your makeup could kill you. Yeah, that's true. Like it had lead in it. Um, Or yes, somebody spread a rumor, something nasty. Oh, you were cast aside like an old shoe. Yes. Like if you were uh, somebody uh, like uh, didn't decide they didn't like you, then you would be cast aside or um, you get the syphilis and then it would be over. Oh, shit. (laughs) That would be terrible. Oh, God, but yeah. The, that was like, I think, um, I don't know. When I think about past lives, maybe that would have been, maybe we were we were courtly ladies. Um, I don't know. Do you ever think about that past life stuff? Yeah, I do. I absolutely do. Mm-hmm. What do you think your past lives were? I don't know. I think that it was definitely... Um, I like to think that I was uh, a socialite mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. where I, what the family I was born into and the sort of life I had as a child was not that at all. And 
I'm like, how the hell did I get these thoughts in my head that I'm grander than I am? How the hell did I feel (laughs) that I shouldn't be living in this house? It's beneath me. So uh, it must be from a previous life. Yeah, I think so. I think that's, I mean, uh, I did, I had my past lives done by this woman. It was in the 90s and she was like, she was in her 90s. So she um, was very famous for doing the sort of past life thing. And she said that this was my first life as a woman. So I was a very awkward woman in this lifetime. And that my father and I had been um, warring soldiers in opposite armies for many lifetimes. And so we, we were supposed to like settle our wars in this lifetime. So they made us father and daughter. Because that was going to be the most peaceful relationship. And so my father and I, we still fight all the time. But this is the most peaceful time we've had in all of our lifetimes. But we've been warring soldiers all of our lives. Do you believe it? I do because I am quite an awkward, mannish woman. But I do, uh, and I do sort of uh, really, really aspire to womanliness as um, a kind of aspirational man. Like, I think, like, I do study women kind of like um, a man would. And then also, like, I, when I'm with, because I I am bisexual, so when I'm with women, I do pursue women like a man would. And I do pine for women like a man would. Okay, so when you go with women, do you go with very feminine women or do you not? You like very feminine Oh, very do. feminine and very male uh, women. So, but it's never really in between. Okay. All right. Yeah. You know, so very either they're very male women or very female women. So never usually, um, it's usually not in between. It depends, but in general, um, they're very, very femme or very butch. Yeah, so I I think it, it's mostly um, if I if I, uh, I I I'm kind of very fixed in sort of my gender roles, um, but uh, I think I do I do sense a kind of fixedness and I do sense a kind of maleness in my gender expression. Um, so I do believe it. So can I ask you, when you're with a man, what sort of guys do you go for? When I'm with a man, I do like. A, uh, I, I do like a pretty man with very manicured eyebrows. <laughs> Get out of here. You do? I do like a pretty man with manicured eyebrows, uh, although I do like a brainy, a sort of a brainy, smart, a guy that's smarter than me. And then I like a very, um, I think I like a very, a taller guy than me. And, um, then I'll like a wild card, you know, like then it's sort of um, you, you never know. Like I, I do like a different somebody different. So do you like it, a, do you like a nerdy type? I do like a nerdy type and I do like a shy person. Like yeah. A shy guy. But you're not into like really, really butch guys. Not always. Every once in a while, I'll surprise myself with a really manly um, kind of rough, gruff guy. That's always in the in the cards somewhere, and it's a surprise. But not that often. Not that often. 
So it's it's always a surprise. But I do like the kind of quiet, shy, nerdy ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, the very, you know, and, and I've never really f- kind of figured out my type, but they almost always have glasses <laughs> <laughs> and then, or problems with their vision <laughs> or they've had LASIK Stop. surgery. <laughs> <laughs> it's a funny thing. It's a, it's a really, it's really interesting. Um, and almost always <clears throat> cancers, always cancers. That, that's a, always, always born, born in July. Wow. Or late June. That's weird. Yeah. I, I just noticed that that's always almost always the case, but you know, it's it's never it's never certain. But yeah, the the past life thing and the courtly life. This is what it reminds me of. Like in, in the quarantine, is that like court? It's maybe it's a little bit like courtly life, just sort of being at home all the time because you know you're kind of in, a, in your own castle. Um, not that I live in a castle, but it is kind of. One place. Yeah, but you're around your things that make you comfortable all the time. Yes. Yes. So I mean, it's good. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I haven't minded like doing the show from home. Obviously, I miss people. I miss our crew and everything. But yeah. um, Otherwise, it really doesn't bother me. I I could quite go on doing the show from home. Yes. Yes. I mean, does it echo like the the life that you uh, were living when you were doing the Osbournes? Although, were you living at home while they were shooting at home? I, that yes. that seems like that's a lot. That's yeah, a lot. It's, it was an awful lot. It was um, literally when we would wake up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Outside our bedroom door was a guy with a, a handheld camera. So it's like, wow. yeah. Because you invented that genre. You invented the genre of the doc you follow reality, the reality show as we know it. Well, it was, it was the fact that it hadn't been done by a celebrity before. And right. Ozzy, we weren't celebrities. Ozzy was the celebrity. And it was the first time anybody in his position had opened themselves up. So mm-hmm. that in that way, yeah, we were the... Well, he was the first, and and yeah. we just we were just behind his coattails, and it was such a huge hit. I mean, you all became really iconic from it. It's really amazing, you know. And then it created this genre. It was just totally um, nothing planned, nothing. You know, I can't possibly say or MTV can't possibly say, well, we're going to change the face of TV. This is what we're going to do. It wasn't like that at all. It was very organic. Mm-hmm. Whose idea was it that ha- when you went to approach that? Like, was it your idea to start? No, it was actually the kids and Ozzy had done Cribs. And it, okay. was, it was the most requested Cribs that they had. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, they came to us and said, what else can we do with you guys? We want to do more. And I'm like, well, let's just do a long cribs. Uh-huh. And that's what it was <laughs> meant to be. It was meant to be three weeks and it ended up three years. And yes. um, it was just a brilliant time in our lives for all of us. It was a, a great experience. Well, it was it was great because it allowed you to be together, which is one of those things that you lose as a, a touring artist. You know, you lose the time with your family. Yeah, so that abs- absolutely. It, it did. And, and 
and our experiences were all together. So all the brilliant things that happened while we mm. were doing the show, we, we all shared them. And that was really special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's really important to know, like that's, um, you know, that I think that's what made the show really successful, too, is the authenticity of, of the, the family life, you know, that that there was such a caring, joyful family and a family that really was really rock and roll. You know, I mean, that's the, that's the thing about it is that the incongruity of the metal and the warmth and the, you know, like that, and that that's a very classy family, you know. Yeah, it was, a, I think it was a contradiction to what people thought it was going to be. Yeah, And yeah. so it, in that way, it was, it was nice. And, yeah. um, you know, people got to see another side of Aussie and, and instead of being the Antichrist, he became right. everyone's favorite dad. Well, yeah, because it is like, you know, it, it does play with that notion of like Ozzy versus like Ozzy and Harriet, like that kind of thing of where, you know, it, it's it's the um, the contradiction of the the sort of dad who's um, the rock star and the dad who is really a dad and, and a really, you know, a great dad. And, and it's such a fun thing of like, um, you know, let's let's look at this very very functional loving family who who also rock and um you know who are very classy too it's like a really cool thing it's a really exciting thing and then now you and then you you've done so many other things but you know that was just sort of an entry not even an entry point because you know this this has come along after very many many successful years doing lots of other stuff you know I was I was in the other side of the industry. I was in the management side. So mm-hmm. um, it was very odd to be on the other side of it. But I, I right. think it was um, good for me in a way because of the age I was and my experience that I kind of think I handled it as best I could. Yeah. Suddenly being known and you're not known outside of your own industry and and everything that happened to us. And it was like, I I would say to my kids, this too shall pass. It will not last. And, Mm -hmm. you know, don't think that this is going to be our lives forever because it's not. Yeah. Yeah. But it has lasted and it's had, it's, it's evolved in a way that's really fantastic, you know, and it continues to evolve in lots of other ways, which I think is really important. And you give, um, I think you give women a lot of inspiration and hope that we can look to uh, our families and look to aging as a really positive and joyous thing. Like I look to you and think, well, we can look into like ambition and industry and like, what can we do now? Like, okay, well, like, what's what's on the horizon like what do you think is good for like how do you look to like what what am I gonna do like you're so inspiring because you're like doing so many different things whether it's publishing or television like where where do you want to go next in terms of like your work I mean there's always something yeah, the, the next thing that I'm working on right well right now is Ozzy's movie of his life story. So we're working wow. on that. And yeah. um 
I can't wait for it actually to start filming. So that's um, perfect. Yeah, we're very excited about it. And I don't want people to think that it's going to be like, you know, the rock and roll sex and drugs. And we're going to see sweeping shots of Ozzy on stage and big crowds. It's not that sort of film. Mm -hmm. And so it goes much deeper than that. I think we've all seen and done brilliantly. It's been mm -hmm. done brilliantly before of that sort of life. And I, I, um, I want to do something different with Ozzy. Look at his life from a, a different perspective, not, not that side of his life. Really yeah. more of, a, of, you know, what was going on inside his head and, and going much deeper. Right. I mean, all of the things that where the music comes from is that sort of like, I, I think that that's there's so much there's so much there, you know, like, how do we how do we even like look at that, too? And I love like, just the, the origin story. It is really, you know, it, it's it's kind of like when we look at superheroes, and so we want to see like where they come from, like, I think that would be really cool, too. But I love that. I think that's great. That's so exciting. I mean, it's about time because we've seen like Elton John and we've seen Queen and, you know, so uh, uh, Ozzy seems a perfect, uh, this is the perfect time for that, that story to come out. There's been, you know, and so many of the Motley Crue and I know Kiss, oh, are, yeah. doing, uh, Kiss are doing a movie, Boy George is doing a movie, Bob Dylan. And it's right. like, yeah, these are all stories that should be told. But mm -hmm. I, I think that, you know, it, they're all different. And it's, um, I want to show how different Aussie's story is to everybody right. else's. And two, right. it's about, it's about our love story. Yeah. Yeah. Which is very, it's a very, very big one. It's a very, it's a, and an enduring one. And when you think about rock and roll and you think about marriage and rock and roll, those two things often, um, people don't think they go together. You know, they don't seem to last, but yours is a different story altogether. Yours has, has stood the test of time. And, and, you know, this is a very, very big love story and a very important love story. So I think that's really great. It's really great. Yeah. And yeah. it's really, it's really amazing. You know, it's like, this is like love lasts and love, love changes too. And it, that's, it, that's the thing. It's great. And, mm -hmm you know, you've got to make sure that you're both changing in the same direction. Um, right. Because we all change. Nothing stays yeah. the same. Nothing. Not places or people. And it's mm -hmm. like, you know, you just have to make sure that you're both on that same road. Yeah. And what is that? What is that secret to staying together? What is that? What is the thing to enduring love? What is that? What is that makes? What is that that makes it keep keep you going? I uh, to be truthful with you, it was Ozzy was the only guy that I ever truly loved. You mm -hmm. know, he used to fuck around, whatever, but nothing meant anything to me. Mm -hmm. Nobody, nothing. And I never was this woman that wanted to be married and have a family. I just was, you know, on a roll on, I was working in rock and roll. I loved my life. I never thought about marriage. And mm -hmm. then when I, you know, met Ozzy, everything changed. And he was truly the only guy that I ever truly loved. And yeah. it's, um, 
I was never a big dater. I was never, you know, one of these women that guys wanted to go out with. I had a, my mouth was, you know, too loud and too bulgy. And um, it's just, you know, it keeps us together. We we built a life together. We built a family. We built yeah. a home. And, and it's like, you know, you just don't throw those things away. Right. You know, we right. all make mistakes. We all fuck up. And I knew when I married Ozzy, I wasn't marrying uh not normal, but a regular guy. I knew that when I was marrying him. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I knew I knew Ozzy had, you know, was an alcoholic. I knew that he was an addict. And when you take that on, you've got to realize what comes with it. Yeah. Yeah. But then, I mean, I think that I, I mean, I get it because I, I'm one. I think that people who are alcoholics and addicts are really special. There's something about them that really, that hunger, that drive makes them really shine and makes them really spectacular. That's exactly it. That is mm-hmm. exactly it. You're very different people. And yeah. I'm, you know, really attracted to that. I make, I make, attracted to that eccentricity to mm-hmm. the vulnerability all artists yeah. are so vulnerable right yeah and you know you're all like porcelain and um yeah. i'm attracted to that too yeah it's a fragile beauty and it's a real i mean you know it's an honor to be around people like that but you've got to find a way to protect them and also to find a way for them to protect themselves, you know, and it's, it's a journey, but it's, it's definitely worth it. You know, it's, it's something that it's like, it takes a lifetime to really learn how to appreciate it, but it's, it's great when we can, when we learn that, you know, it's beautiful. It is, it is. And, And that's, you know, as you say, very, very special people all, you know, that's it, to be an artist. I, I mean, I don't know any great artists that weren't addicts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, to be true. truthful with you. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I don't think I do, I do either. They're no. all, all the people that I know who are really, I mean, either either they're addicts or they're on uh, the other side. Of it. They're, they're like, they, they love them, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Which is another kind. They're, they're, yeah. they're also addicts on the other side. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> The great appreciators. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. I love it. Well, that's the movie I can't wait to see. I'm so excited. How? When do you think we get to see it? Do you know? I mean, I guess oh, it's two years. You know. It'll be two Ooh. years. Yeah. Ooh, I can't. That's exciting. Yeah. That's a that's a summer blockbuster. Oh, that's a, <laughs> that's great. Will it be concurrent with the big um, Ozfest? Um, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. That's, yeah. see, this is like the things that like the next Ozfest is going to be so major. Like, <laughs> you know, it makes us really appreciate all of the things like the, the quarantine really makes me appreciate all of those things that we're going to have to miss this, this year, you know? Oh yeah. And, and it just builds you up for the next one, doesn't it? Yeah. I really, I can't wait. I can't wait. 
Well, thank you so much, Sharon. I'm so glad to catch up with you. And, oh, um, I'm so glad to hear your voice, a friendly voice. You are the best. And I um, love you, Mrs. I and love you. I can't and wait to see you and give you a big hug. I know. I can't wait. I will see you soon, I hope. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. She is a rock star. She's an author. She's written a very powerful new memoir, All I Ever Wanted. She is All I Ever Wanted. It's Kathy Valentine. When you first uh, joined the Go-Go's, what I know sticks in my brain is that you were initially a guitar player. And then when you joined, you were on told to play bass. So you practiced for four days. You learned all the songs and then you went on tour with them to play bass. Is that true? Well, we didn't go right on tour. We we just had, you know, some local gigs and stuff. But yeah, I... I switched over to the bass. I learned all the songs, uh, a 20 song set in uh, four days. And, um, it was, uh, it was probably this, the most focused and intense, um, concentrated period of, of just dedication and discipline I'd ever done. I was 21 years old and, you know, discipline and focus is not, wasn't really my forte, but I really wanted to do a good job. And as I was learning that stuff, I I became really aware uh, of how I thought this band might be the band that could be, you know, do what I had dreamt of, which was make it, make it to the top. Well, I don't know about the top, but just make it. We just wanted to make it in the music business. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, it, it, it was all pretty, fast though i mean to think about like how it all took place i mean thinking about it back then and i well i remember that uh i I saw you guys that was the first concert i'd ever been to it wasn't the um it wasn't your first tour it was the second tour so this is the vacation tour and it was the um big show at the greek theater in berkeley uh dave alvin was opening the audience was mostly, uh, it was mostly girls and it was all young girls. And we were so excited to see you. And my cousin took me in, I wore a striped mini skirt and cowboy boots, high heels. I think I was 14. I had the best time. We took BART. We took the train. It was the best night ever. <laughs> it was so exciting. It's so cool. I didn't, I, I knew that, uh, that you had, you know, you'd said really nice things about our first album and stuff, but I didn't realize that was your first concert. And mm-hmm. that's that's super cool. I, I love that. Uh, it's like, that's kind of the age my daughter was when she started going to concerts. And uh, it's, there's something, it's really special to go experience live music at that age. And 
it's kind of your first time to feel that energy and see somebody in the flesh live up on stage right. doing the music that you thought that you just heard on the radio or came out of your stereo speakers. It's a really special yeah. thing for a young teenager. Especially girls, yeah. especially young girls, especially young women who were just a little bit older than me. Not much, just a couple of years. And just, uh, you know, that was like the incredible thing, too, is that, you know, you're seeing a girl band who are writing their own songs, who were playing their own instruments. That's quite amazing. You know, that that I think was another layer to the the excitement, you know, that this was like this punk band who, you know, were doing something completely different from anybody else out there, you know, like that, that we hadn't even thought that this was a possible thing. You know, we hadn't seen Girl Girls. I mean, there was like, I guess the Runaways before that, but even the the Runaways, um, I did, I hadn't seen them live yet. So that was something new too. Um, who, who was your first concert? Um, well, when I grew up, the all the people I looked up to were men and musicians and bands. And uh, mm -hmm. when I started playing guitar, I thought there was two choices as a female into music, and that was either to be a lead singer, like a Janis Joplin or a Grace mm -hmm. Slick, or to be like a folk musician and play a guitar like Joan Baez or Joni Mitchell or something. It, I never, it never occurred to me that I could plug in an electric guitar into an amp and be in a band like the Stones or the Faces or the Who or Led Zeppelin. It just never crossed my mind. I was really lucky because uh, my mom's English. We went to England periodically, and um, I saw Susie Quattro on television there. Mm. A lot of people in America, the minute they hear Susie Quattro, they go, they go, oh, Leather, Tuscadero, Happy Days. And I I get kind of like, I get my back up about it because Susie Quattro was a huge rock star in England mm -hmm. and Europe and Australia. And um, she really paved the way. I mean, she opened the door for so many uh, girls that thought, oh, we can be rock stars too. We can be rock stars mm -hmm. too. So that's what that's what made me want to, uh, to do it. But my first concert in Austin was... Um, well, my first nightclub was John Lee Hooker, so that was awesome. Mm. And my mm. first concert was um, Jay Giles' band, and that's when they were like oh, a yeah. bluesy rock band. It was way before mm -hmm. like Centerfold. Ironically, the Go Go's when we went number one, we knocked Centerfold, which was Jay Giles, <laughs> off the the number one position. So that was kind of funny because that was my first concert before they they had uh, hits like that. And then ZZ Top was, of course, was um, you know. Probably my big outdoor first big outdoor festival, and and Peter Frampton. It was like all guys, you know. There weren't there mm -hmm. weren't too many women at that time. Did you play like American Bandstand? You must have. The Go Go's did. Done. Yeah, the Go Go's, the Go -Go's did. Yes. You know, we we had a, a pretty difficult journey getting getting our record done, getting on the road, and getting known and tv played a huge part in that especially saturday night live but a lot of like mike douglas you know so, uh solid mm -hmm. gold those shows wouldn't oh really solid have, gold yeah they wouldn't really have you on until you already had a hit record so uh i would say that the the tv opened for us after having a hit we, that wasn't how we mm -hmm. that wasn't how we made it that was happened after we made it did you guys play on um music laden in 
That's what I, when I think about Susie Quattro, I always think about Music Laden, that, uh, the one in Berlin, uh, we those did, old clips. We did tons of stuff um, in Europe, but I don't remember the names of the shows. Uh, when we went to Europe, our record company was, we were on an indie label in, in the United States. We were passed over by every major label, and I write about this in my book uh, a lot. My book talks about... Uh, what we were up against and the obstacles we we um, faced. And I think it's interesting to note that we were the first indie band to have a number one record, too. That does, that's a credit that doesn't really get talked about a lot. Um, in Europe, CBS Records, which was a huge record label, was the distributor. So they had us in their clutches when we went to Europe, and they would always kind of put us through our paces doing all the promo and press and TV and whatnot. But I don't remember the specific shows that we did because all I know is they worked us a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, there was a lot, there was so much to be said because it was this whole thing where it was the first time that we had this um, rock group that was all women, that was young women, that were writing their own songs, that were playing their own instruments, that, you know, that was like this very, very big deal. Everybody wanted to have you on the cover of every magazine. I mean, from what I remember as like watching to seeing you all, you know, on the cover of Rolling Stone with the bath, the bath towels and the face cream, it was just so, you know, like it felt like you were everywhere. Like this was like this exciting thing that was kind of like taking over the world. Did it feel like the Beatles to you or did it feel like, did you kind of notice it when it was happening or did it, did you not know because you were just on the road all the time? Uh, no, we were very aware that um, like it was um, accelerating. We were very aware because there was tangible differences day to day. And uh, mm-hmm. that's one thing I really tried to get across in my book. It was very important to me to get the feelings uh, of what it felt like. And it was really exhilarating to get to experience it again from this vantage point and and have the reflection and insight, but also put myself back in that spot and remember what it felt like. And there was a lot of joy and a lot of exhilaration. But we were aware that it was exhilarating because one one minute, you know, one day you'd be in a van, then you'd get a tour bus, and maybe you're sharing the tour bus with the, the crew, but then it goes on so that you have your own tour bus. And then, you know, you're staying in a nicer hotel, you're visiting... Uh, Detroit for the third time and each venue is getting a little bit bigger. So we were aware that things were growing and accelerating. I document um, the whole journey in, in my story. And it's, I want to stress that though, that the, that my book is not, it's not a, um, a go-go's history. And it's really a personal story about my journey before and after. I don't think my reader would really connect and understand the profound, the importance that the band was to me, unless they knew the context and the really painful adolescence that I came from and as much distance as I could put between me and a a very unconventional and difficult time growing up. uh, And they wouldn't understand it without that context. And they wouldn't understand the devastation of losing it all. So I just wanted to make sure that your listeners know that this is not the story of the Go-Go's and it's not a history of the Go-Go's, but the Go-Go's play a really big part in the story. Uh, but it's a very human story that anybody can relate to. 
Mm-hmm. I think that like for me, like when it, it's, it's always valuable to like go into um, stories of pain, like whenever like I'm writing, like whether it's like songs or jokes or any sort of sort of like narrative writing, like I always like try to go and to figure out like what is the part that I'm learning from and like what have I learned from this and what's like the most valuable part and what can I write from like and the it's kind of usually like the most truthful part or the most painful part is usually like the most valuable um I, I don't know like I find that like it becomes less and less painful like the more that I can write about it or like the like memories for me become more valuable like or um things become uh better like I'm grateful for things that were painful because I've learned the things that I write about are really deep and intense things I I was you know I got pregnant at the age of 12 and had to get an abortion two years before Roe v. Wade I was raped at the age of 14 I uh, was the victim of a home invasion robbery uh, after I had lost my band and lost everything and was, you know, very close to being murdered in my in my home. Uh, a lot of really intense experiences. My father was not in my life. And I really at my core felt like I, I didn't matter. Um, it gave me a lot of drive. My mother was on her own. I was an only child. My earliest memory is that it was my job to take care of myself, that nobody was going to do that for me. Mm -hmm. But it's really, I mean, it's amazing that, you know, you're able to come forth and talk about these very difficult issues. And it's like, you know, it's hard because like for me, you know, coming out for my own like sexual abuse and the problem like with my own like like history of sexual abuse and like physical abuse and emotional abuse. It's like I have uh, my own patterns of it is that like having endured it, my problem is I continue the abuse. Like I like wouldn't stop doing it. Like I have a history of it. And so like I would continue it with like drug abuse and like eating disorders and this kind of stuff. So it's a very shameful like history for me. Like it's very hard to grow up out of it because it's like I continue to like propagate it like I, I don't even know how to like survive it because that's all I know to do so it took me like a good you know 50 years to sort of stop doing it and I'm like 51 now like it's just a very hard cycle to break out of yeah you know it's very it's interesting because uh, people you know, somebody else in my situation would might have had a very different thing. The way it manifested for me was, I felt very driven and very ambitious. I, I, at my core, you know, from the time I was a child, I didn't feel like I mattered that much. You know, my I felt loved. My mom loved me. I knew that, but she wasn't equipped to parent me or put boundaries or guidelines out there. And as a result, I was left to raise myself, which isn't something that most children are very good at doing. For me, the way it manifested was to be very driven and ambitious. I wanted to do something extraordinary and I wanted to be successful. I wanted to really feel like I mattered and that I was doing. And when I found music, that was the way I felt like I wanted to do it. I wanted to be the best 
female guitar player that had ever lived. Um, I ended up getting into punk rock and ended up in the Go-Go's playing bass, but I still did something extraordinary in that band. And the thing was, I also, I turned to drugs and alcohol from a very young age. Uh, you know, as soon as I found drinking, I write, a, there's a chapter called Liquid Forget. And it's when I first got drunk for the first time, and it's on Boone's Farm. And I was also very, it's probably a lot, I mean, you always hear about comedians who are making, you know, jokes all the time out of their pain. Well, mine was fun. If I, mm -hmm. if I was fun, if I could make everybody laugh, not in a comedian way, but just by being fun and goofy and up for anything and be the life of the party, that kept everything at bay. That meant the pain wasn't there. That meant the betrayal wasn't there. The abandonment wasn't there. The uh, addiction wasn't there. The, it was my denial mm -hmm. was, was being fun and having a blast and always keeping my using at a level where I could keep the denial going. But fun was a big part of it. And in the Go-Go's, I really, from the minute I got that, I was like, this is it. This is how I can take care of myself. This is how I can do something extraordinary. This is how I can pay my bills. This is how I can have mm -hmm. security, the first security. This is how I can feel like I'm in a family. Never felt yeah. like I was in a family. It was everything to me. And what that ended up meaning was that I became very fearful and desperate to keep it. And meanwhile, wonderful things are happening. You know, you're mm -hmm. getting number one records. John Belushi is your biggest fan. You're meeting Rod Stewart and, mm -hmm. you know, people that I looked up to and loved when I was younger or, and going to Japan and Australia and, you know, all the iconic cities. So all this amazing stuff is happening. But like you say, you're juggling really hard to keep those plates in the air and to keep it fun and... I would look at the lead singer and she looked miserable and I would panic. I would panic, mm -hmm. you know, make her happy, make her happy. You know, it was this sense of responsibility was huge. And it's such a gift to, um, to be able to look back and write about it and really get into those feelings and remember it with such vivid detail and yet still have, you know, be a mom now and be sober 31 years and have that, that vantage point of reflection and insight that I certainly didn't have then. But that's great, though, because, I mean, it's wonderful to be able to have uh, the ability. For me, like, I don't have the ability to remember everything with that kind of clarity and also that kind of, um, I guess, uh, non-judgment, you know, Mm -hmm. Like, and I, I think that would be difficult for me not to have a judgment on myself or an, on my situation or a sort of a decision about like, well, I wouldn't necessarily want to put that in or I don't know, like you just want to put it, you want to put the information out there so that you can help other people. I'm, I'm, I'm s sort of thinking that's, that's your I, idea of like, okay, if I, maybe I'll help somebody else if they, they can hear what I was feeling or what I was going through. I thought it was really important as as a 61-year-old woman who has been in bands for 45 years of my life and made it to the top in a, a very male-oriented business where the patriarchy was quite, uh, you know, adamant that there wasn't a place for us at the table. I thought it was a story that needed to be told. And 
the things I told that were difficult and painful, they were the stories that helped kept that made a context and kept my story uh, moving forward. But I cut out a hundred yeah. pages. I, I, I took out a hundred wow. pages because not all wow. of it's that with memoir. It's like you know, there's a. Uh, there's being there's blood on the page. When you're a memoirist, that's what you want. You want blood on the page. But do you mm. want to be a, a gaping open wound? You know. Yeah. No. You know. You want. Yeah. You want that, but you don't want to like be flagellating yourself and you know, you know, just kind of laying there like this, like this, you know, <laughs> quivering mass of mistakes and you know whatever. So I, I I'm enough of a perfectionist and enough of an artist that I wanted to do a really good job. And I wanted yeah. people to know that I was a good writer. This book had a very single-minded intention behind it besides telling my story. And that was that I wanted people to know that I could write because I would, I want to, I get a lot of, uh, I'm good at it. I believe I'm good at it. And I believe I have a mm -hmm. voice and I want to write more books. And that's what I want to do all for the rest of my days. So yeah, I had that intention too, was to like say to prove to, to not prove but to, to put it out there and say, I'm, I can do this. I'm, I'm not yeah. just a bass player in a band from 1982. Yeah, that's wonderful. It's so wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. And um, I am looking forward to when we can actually see each other in person. It's taking over my dreams, waking me out of my sleep. I think I'm coming apart. The Margaret Show is an Erios production with editing by Tracy Levy and original music by Garrison Starr. Never miss an episode of The Margaret Show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.